Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Okay. All right, so we're doing a new series today. It's called Living My Best Life. And uh, you're like, you think I've heard that before? Yes, we're not trying to be original. I'm trying to steal everything and just create some, you know, some creativity uh, to piggyback off of that. But at the same time, how many of you would say, yes, I actually do. Whatever it is, I do want to find and I do want to live my best life possible. Anybody? Thank you. It's okay to yell. It's okay to talk. Uh, one week I actually said, if you get excited, throw a chair. Don't throw a chair. That was bad advice. I don't want anybody to throw a chair in here, but still, it's okay to talk and get excited. So we're going to go into part one today, and I hope you're taking notes. We encourage you to take notes, uh, not just because we're not in school, but we do believe that what we're talking about on Sunday mornings is something that is going to impact you Monday. It's going to impact you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Hopefully, it might even drag over into Saturday so that by the next Sunday morning, you're coming in excited, ready to get filled up, ready to celebrate life, ready to hang out with some, some good folks and go back into it. But also know sometimes when uh, Sunday morning comes around, you're like, somebody help me. I, I can't even walk. I'm just trying to get back in here. But the stuff that we talk about are things that are going to speak into your life. Again, we say it all the time. God is not interested in having a religion with you. God desires to have a relationship with you. And so what we speak into on Sunday mornings is the relationship that God desires to have with you that's going to impact every sphere of your life, and today is absolutely no different. So listen, after church today, I want to mention this too, after church, uh, we have some individuals that are getting baptized today, and that's super cool. It's a, it's a big deal. Baptism's huge because it's really the moment where you decide that you're going public with your faith. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it's one of those things that's a next step after you decide to give your life to Christ. And so I just, when we're done today, it's, a, it's not going to take super long. And especially since, and you just have to trust us with this, because we're doing baptisms outdoors. I don't know what kind of response I was waiting for in that moment, but I got one anyway. For those that are getting baptized, please don't leave. It's, I promise you, we're talking jacuzzi-level situation outside. And uh, it's going to be awesome. David, I promise. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Whatever Danny does, you can trust in Danny. <laughs> um, and in two weeks from today, yes, two weeks from today, and this is actually going to be huge, not just it's going to be huge for our church. It's going to be huge, I think, for our community and for our city. We are starting crews. We are launching them on Sunday, January the 13th. He's like, what the heck is a crew? You had a crew growing up, right? You had people that you walked with, people that you hung out with, people that you did life together. Uh, if you're more churchy, then you might call it a small group or something like that. But we call it crews because everybody needs a crew. And so we have a good handful of crews that are going to be launching on that Sunday. And we're going to have it all set up with the people. They're going to have, uh, I told them, it, you know, it's not about a contest. But it's a contest to see who can attract the most people to their crew and, uh, and so crews are where you get a chance during the week to meet with people and uh, grow relationally, grow in your relationship with God, and at the same time, just having fun doing life around the city. And so you do not want to miss that Sunday. That's enough of that. All right, we're going to uh, open up the Bible. I'm going to uh, the book of Joshua, which is in the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and actually, one of, my, one of my favorite books, if you 
if you wanted to ever know that. I don't know why you would, but it is. Joshua is one of my favorite books, closer to the beginning. And I think because I can, for whatever reason, I can tend to relate with Joshua. Um, he was, at his time, he was a younger leader, uh, but he stepped into a situation that he was well aware of, but at the same time, a very overwhelming situation to step in and to become a leader. And so we see, even in the beginning of the, the book that's named after him, we see God reminding him repeatedly, hey, it's okay, I know you got a tough task ahead of you, but be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, he says it multiple times. And so, but you have to understand that there were some significant circumstances going on that I'm gonna explain here in just a moment. But I'm gonna read from Joshua chapter three, uh, starting in verse one, and, and then I'll give you context afterwards if that's okay. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. That seemed like an important detail. Verse five here. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Let me read that one more time. Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you that in these moments, Lord, that regardless of who we are, where we come from, where we are in our journey with you, whether we're at the beginning and we, we've been on for years or maybe we're still not even sure where that is, God, we thank you that today that you have something that you wanna speak to us in our hearts and our minds. So I pray for all of us, God, open up our hearts to receive, our ears to hear what it is that you wanna say. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Listen, if you're taking down notes, I want you to write this down as a, as a title for what I'm talking about today. Uh, in kind of part one of our Living the Best Life series. And this is called The Process of the Promise. The Process of the Promise. And now let me give you some context to what was happening in those verses that I just read to you. Uh, we, they're, they're, they're camped out, the nation of Israel, uh, three million plus strong, is camped out on the edge of the Jordan River, about to cross into the area that was referred to as the Promised Land, the area that God had set as a special place for God's people. Now what is taking place before that, we need to know that there were 400 years of slavery in Egypt where the nation of Israel lived for 400 years in those conditions. Uh, God raised up Charlton, uh, not Charlton Heston, God raised up Moses to lead them out of slavery. Although he, he did a good job. He did a great job. Uh, they journeyed from the area where they were was called Goshen. And so, which was kind of the eastern delta area of Egypt. And from there, they traveled for 40 years, that's a long time, 40 years through the wilderness and the desert before they entered into the promised land. An entire generation, an entire generation of Israelites died in the desert so that a new generation of faith could arise and claim the promise of God, a promised land for God's people. And the reason that that generation died off is because that entire generation basically lived in complaining and rebellion of what God was trying to do. And God said, I can't give my promise to people that aren't gonna follow my ways. And so he raised up a whole new generation. Now here's the thing, I don't know if you realize this, if you do the geography and you do the math, 
the journey from where they were to where God was trying to take them should have only taken, in all reality, about two weeks for them to travel by foot. So you gotta know that if it took you 40 years to go what should have taken you two weeks, you somewhere you should have zigged where you, where you zagged. You know, there was a, there was a problem in the situation. Uh, Joshua's job was to lead with courage and faith and not repeat the failures of the last generation. But 40 years, somebody say 40 years. 40 years later, they found themselves on the front door of the promise of God for them. Now here's a little interesting fact that I picked up when I was researching this, because uh, I'm really good at math. 40 years, or the number 40, is 10% of 400. Now that's not the revelation. Well, it was for me. The revelation is that in, in biblical, uh, there, there's, you know, numbers have significance. 10 is the number of testing. So I find it interesting that that correlation comes together for them spending 40 years doing what should have taken two weeks. But 40 years of 400 years of slavery, there was a testing period where God was testing his people to see if they would trust him through the process so that he could take them where he was trying to take them. I wonder in your life if you have responded to the tests and the trials in your life with either trust and faith towards God or blaming God for what's going on. And so, yeah, come on. Y'all gotta know, that's okay. When, when I start poking you in the chest, it's only because I love you. Anyway, so let me ask you this question. What if today God's plan and promise were right in front of you for tomorrow? What would you do? What would you do today if divine opportunity was right in front of you for tomorrow? What would you do today if you knew that your destiny was literally steps ahead of you and you would be able to walk into it tomorrow? I know it's, um, it's, it's super easy to get really callous about the whole new year thing because everyone in here in some way, shape, or form, some of y'all still have faith for it, but have done, hey, new year, new me. Well, let me tell you something, <laughs> personal experience. If you don't do anything different about you, there's gonna be nothing new about you in the new year. You, if you eat the same things you ate in 2018, you're gonna look just like you looked in 2018 and 2019. If you don't do anything different in your relationships that you did last year, you're not gonna have better relationships this year. If you do nothing about your employment situation because you have dreams and you have hopes, but you just stay where you are because it's comfortable and safe, then don't expect to walk into the dreams that you have next year. God's looking to do something. He has promises that he wants to unfold in your life, but it won't happen unless you present yourself and go through the process to get to the promise. Their best life, the nation of Israel, their best life was just on the other side of purification. Interesting, the, the Jordan River uh, comes up a couple of times throughout the Bible, especially in New Testament, but it, it paints this picture. Funny, say we're doing baptisms. There, when, when you get baptized, some people wonder, like, what is, what is that? Do you, get, do you get, is it splashing, sprinkling, spraying, squirting, dipping? Like, what do you do? And uh, the word baptism that the Bible uses, if you go back to the original meaning from the original word, it actually means to completely immerse underwater and then to come back up. The coming back up part's pretty significant. You don't wanna stay down there. Anyway, 
But when Israel went through the Jordan River, they actually went through on dry ground, which was a miracle itself. But it was symbolizing them as a nation being baptized from who they used to be, no longer slaves, no longer generations of poverty, no longer people that were always beaten down and taken advantage of, but now moving into a new life and a new identity and a new promise and a new purpose into what God created them for. And so the very same river that they crossed to enter their promise was the same river where we see John the Baptist doing his ministry. That's where he actually got his name, John the Baptist, because he was baptizing people. The Jordan River was also the same place where even Jesus got baptized. And from the same place where we see the example as followers of Jesus, where we should be baptized as well. It's the very same waters. Come on, your promise is on the other side of purity. Your promise is on the other side of purity. Let's personalize. Repeat after me. My promise promise is on the other side side of purity. purity. I don't know, purity could be an interesting context, an interesting word. Maybe in our culture it's not a word that gets used all the time. Maybe uh, we think about it in the context of maybe like a little kid that has a pure and an innocent mind. But for for grown-ups and for adults, what uh, it gets said so many times that the things that the Bible talks about that have to do with a a pure lifestyle is just, it's just, it's old-fashioned, it's archaic, it's not relevant anymore because we are enlightened, we are new people, we're new, you know, we don't need any of that. But the reality is that there there is a version of you that God created with purpose that apart from God we cannot enjoy. There are things that God created to be done his way in our life that when done his way and in his time are amazing. But when we take the time and the context away from God and we want to control those things, they become terrible. They become things that mess us up. They they become things that, that break up relationship instead of strengthening them. And I'm not getting into that today. That's for, that's for 2019. But the reality is, is that We can't continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect God to change. God doesn't change. We're the ones that change. God God loves me just the way I am. I don't need to change. No, 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 no. God does love you just the way that you are, but he loves you so much that he wants to help you get to how he created you to be. And that's going to take change. And I know everyone loves change, right? Okay, I'm just talking to the right people. Everybody does. I love it. I know I do. We got too many people that they want the promise, but they don't want the process. We want God's blessing while still living our way. We want success, but not necessarily the hard work. We want the championship without the off season. We want God to bless our finances, but we don't want to trust him with our finances. We want the reward without the obedience. We want the fruit without the root. Do you want me to keep going? Okay. <laughs> There's a price to be paid for the process that God wants to take us through. And I know, I mean, that can be so, you're like, ah, I just don't know. There's this level of trust that has to be in front of us for where we say, you know what, God, I don't, I don't know how you're gonna do this. I don't know how I can get through this. But eventually you have to get to the point, and maybe sometimes this takes a little time, that's okay, to be able to say, God, I trust you. I trust you with this process because I know that what you have for me are things to to bless me, things to give me a future, things that give me hope. God's plans for your life, the Bible says, are good, pleasing, and perfect. Those are all adjectives I will take seven days a week when it comes to the life that God wants me to live. But we're not earning God's plan. We're not earning God's favor. Uh, that's, that's, That's a futile exercise. We really can't earn it. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn God's grace. You can't earn those things on your own efforts. 
And that's the beauty thing, is that salvation is something that costs so much that none of us would ever be able to afford it. None of us would ever be able to pay the price to receive the salvation that God has for us. And that's okay because God knew that, so he decided to go ahead and pay the price in advance. And that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He literally paid the full ticket, the full price of what was needed so that you could experience the wonderful gift of salvation and the amazing grace of God. We don't earn God's blessing. We don't earn our destiny. This isn't actually about earning. It's about a process. It's about positioning ourselves in a direction and saying, God, if that's the direction that you want me to go, and I can't really see, I can't see over that hill, God, but I know you want to go, you want me to go in this direction. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to position my mindset in that direction. I'm going to position my heart in that direction. I'm going to position my, my priorities, my principles of my life. I'm going to position them in that way, and I'm going to follow you. Easier said than done. But I can't overemphasize how important it is for us to learn how to do things God's way. A couple of scriptures here. Psalm 18, verse 30, it says, God's way is perfect. Okay, there we go. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. Isaiah 35, 8 says, And a great road will go through that once deserted land, and it will be named a highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Philippians 3, 9 says this at the end, For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, faith in God. Purify yourselves tomorrow. Sorry. That's not what it says at all. Purify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. I cannot tell you how passionate my wife and I are about you seeing the wonders of God come alive in your life. I can't tell you uh, what we are willing to do and what we are willing to give up or what we're willing to sacrifice so that we can see a space and an environment and a, a church and a place where people can come and really get to know who God is and not, not who they see God portrayed by the media, not who they see God portrayed by people who call themselves Christians but don't actually live that way. I'm talking about the God who is God. I'm talking about Jesus who loves you, who loved you so much that he was willing to give up his entire life so that you could experience life and relationship with him. That's the type of place that we want to be. Those are the people we want to be. That's the church we want to be. This is the environment we want to create because there's nothing greater than you finding who God is and becoming what God created you to be. There's nothing greater. So if it's possible for me to get through these, these things this morning, I have three things that I want to tell you that open up, that position you for the process to reach God's promise for you. The first thing is this, purify through repentance. Purify through repentance. Man, that's such a fun word, repentance. I, know, I don't know about you, but like even me as a pastor in the church world, when I hear the word repent, the first thing that pops up in my mind are the, the, in, the beautiful individuals that you see on the street corners with the, the, the billboard signs, right? They say repent, turn, or burn, you know, all, these, all the clever rhyming things. And, uh, and, and every time I see that, I'm telling you, that's, that's that's not the way to do that. I'll just say that. That's not the way to bring the goodness of God to our city is by telling people that if they don't turn, then they will burn. Um, the way to get people to the greatness of who God is is through kindness, is through love. 
It's through grace. It's through being able to accept, accept people where they are, love them where they are, and love them enough to lead them in the direction of knowing who God is. But we need to purify ourselves so that tomorrow we can see the wonders that God has for us. Purify through repentance. Matthew 3, 2, it says, repent of your sins and turn to God. The kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven is near. A few verses later in verse 8 it says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Now let's, let's define this so that we know what we're talking about here. To repent means to change one's way of life as a result of complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. Uh, it means to change one's ways. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, uh, we'll say this. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is, there is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow lacks repentance, resulting in spiritual death. So here's the deal. Repentance literally means that you make a U-turn in the direction that your life is headed and you go the other way. And so if I can like visually kind of play, what's it, charades? Is that, no, anyway. That's the first time I'm like Pictionary, I'm like, no, I'm not drawing anything. That doesn't make any sense. But you are like, this is your normal life, and you're walking in this direction, and you, you don't know why things aren't working out. You don't know why your relationships are struggling. You don't know why you don't have joy in your life. You don't know why things aren't working out how you hoped they would, and you encounter the love and the grace and the kindness of God through some means, whether it's a friend, whether it's a church, whatever that may be. And it says repentance means that you have that encounter with God, you get this, you recognize who God is, and you decide to follow him. I'm gonna clue you in on something. God is not headed in the direction of your broken life. God is headed in the direction of the life that he created you to live. So repentance doesn't mean turn or burn. Repentance means I have now come into contact with who God is, and I realize that he loves me, and I realize that he has a plan for my life, and I realize that there is purpose still within me, regardless of how broken I am or where I came from, and we literally do a 180, and instead of following our broken life, we begin to follow Jesus. And it's a, it's a walk of faith. It's not a walk of you turn around and boom, you now have everything figured out. No, it, it actually couldn't be, further from, it couldn't be further from the truth. You actually have no clue, but you say, God, I don't know. You might as well put a blindfold on me right now, but I trust you. I trust you. My faith is in you, and you begin to follow Jesus. Now, here's the cool thing about us, about church, but also about us starting crews coming up in January is that when you're going this direction, how many of you know there are plenty of people that will surround you when you're going in the broken direction and let you know that it's okay for you to keep going in the broken direction? Anybody, anybody got some suckers in your life that want you to keep going in that broken direction? Well, God says, well, if there's people that are gonna encourage you that way, guess what? There's also people that will encourage you this way. That's why church exists. You don't, don't do church because you need to do church. Nobody needs church for church. You need church for God, you need church for people. You need church for your family, you need church for your kids. Why? Because you're gonna be surrounded with other people, imperfect, also broken, but still, people that have their eyes on Jesus, that are saying, okay, I, yeah, we don't know either, but we know Jesus is going this way. Okay, but you're, you're yeah, me too. All right, so we're going. <laughs> Boom, stepped in a hole. It's okay, I got you, I got you. How many of you know it's good to have people around you that when you do fall in a hole, they're gonna pick you up. They're not gonna throw dirt on top of you. <laughs> I wanna overemphasize, church does not mean that you are surrounded by perfect people. They do not exist. There's one that I can think of, his name was Jesus. 
but he was also fully God and fully man. He may have had an advantage. <laughs> We're not God. We're fully people. And we need him. That's why we need him. And that's why we need each other. And that's why, listen, I'll, I'll poke this bear as well. People that want to tell me, listen, I don't need church to have a relationship with God. Maybe, but you do need church to be what God created you to be. You do need church for the relationships that God wants to put in you because you will fall, you will make a mistake, you will find brokenness, you will hit a dead end, and when that happens, who's gonna be around you to hold you by the hand, to pick you up, to encourage you, to inspire you, to build you up and let you know that you can keep going. It's gonna be okay, this is not the end. You're still breathing, you're still standing. How are you gonna get that when you're on your own by yourself? You won't. won't happen. We're dedicating ourselves this year. We got two days left in this year. And then in 2019, we're moving forward. And I, and I t can't tell you how excited I am in January to begin to share some vision that God's been speaking to my wife and I about Convo Church and about what we desire to see happen in this coming year. Man, I can't wait to share some of that stuff. Purify yourselves today for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Number two, purify through holiness. So first we're talking about repentance because everybody loves to talk about that. Now we're gonna talk about holiness, probably the second favorite thing that people like to talk about. Because these are all words, isn't it ironic how some of the most special words that God wants to use to describe the life that he desires us to live that's actually gonna be a fulfilling, fruitful, enjoyable life are the words that have been taken and twisted and used out of context and used inappropriately. And now people, when they hear repentance, they think of judgmental Christians that hate everybody. And when they think of holiness, they think of, well, it just means you have to act a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way, and you have to you know, do everything perfect. You have to act holier than everybody else. Holiness means you're better than other people. It's interesting how the words have been twisted to remove God's meaning. Holiness is a beautiful word. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Listen, holiness simply means that you have now, because of God, been set apart for a special use. You're like, who, me? Yeah, you. God handpicked you. Don't dodge my pointing and think that I'm pointing at the person beside you, behind you, in front of you. I'm pointing at you. God handpicked you to be of special service, holy and set apart to be used for his purposes. Listen, you can't make yourself holy. It's not possible. You can't, do, you can't be a good enough person to be holy. You can't be a good enough person, say all the perfect things, uh, dress all the perfect ways, act all the perfect ways to earn any holy status. Only God can make you holy and it's done by faith in Jesus Christ. You didn't earn it, God makes you holy, but then you get to live holy. Did you hear that? There's a little bit of a shift. God makes you holy, but then you get to choose to live holy. A holy life is the product of a repentant life. A holy life is the product of a repentant life. When you study the word holy, uh, even in the Old Testament, and I know do a little Bible, Bible school here, it's okay. When you study holy in the Old Testament, specifically when you look at uh, the, you know, Moses and, and the temple being put together and the Ark of the Covenant, things that were holy were set apart for special use in the process of worshiping God and the priest would handle them and they had specific use. You would never use a holy object to do a common thing 
Or let me rephrase that. You would never use a holy thing to do an unholy thing. So when you say yes to Jesus in that moment, regardless of your resume of sin, regardless of how broken and messed up and, 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 and jacked up your life has been even up to yesterday, the moment that you say yes to following Jesus, in that moment you're made clean, you're fully forgiven, the slate is wiped clean, God's not taking a, a screenshot of it to put it over in the file so that when it brings it up later, he can swipe it back and be like, oh, there, there's that again. No, it's gone. It is deleted and they delete all files, never to be recovered again. And in that moment, you are made holy because the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside of you. It's not just the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. It is a set-apart spirit, the set-apart part of the Trinity of God to come and make us holy so that we can even be in relationship with God. So if, if, if in the Old Testament they would use things for holy purposes, what makes you think that you should be used for unholy purposes? Why would we choose to put ourselves in positions to be used in a way that doesn't honor God or in a way that does not put us in the, in the position of the process for our promise? We need to realize that holiness isn't just about being better than everybody else and never making a mistake. It's about a heart condition and a mindset that says, I'm going to trust my life with God. I'm going to trust the decisions and, and the process and the dreams that I have and the, the example that I get to be around other people. People should notice a difference in you at some point in time after you give your life to Jesus. Be like, I've been working with you for years. You're acting a little bit different. What's, what's the deal? That should happen. Not, not always that conversation. But there are, there's something that's different that will happen inside of us that is supernatural. It's not just because you woke up one day and decided, you know, I'm just going to act like I'm a good person today. Because that, that might last a day or two. Maybe. We did have a laugh, man. We have laughs all the time. That's what we do here. It might last a day or two, but it's not going to last for very long. You know why? Because it's exhausting to be a good person. Can we just be real? How exhausting is it to wake up every single day and just decide, you know, I'm going to be a good person today. And then you go to work and then your boss walks into your office and, oh, then it's all ruined. Or you're driving to work and somebody, you know, from a different state cuts you off and all of a sudden, now I'm no longer a good person Reset, okay, now I'm gonna start over again. Man, it's so exhausting. I don't even wanna try to keep up with that. But God makes us holy because his spirit comes inside of us. Now check this out. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A new person. Not a fixed person. Not a duct taped person. Not a super glued person. Not a I'll give you a second chance person, but a brand new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. You are holy, you are special, and God has plans for you, not for somebody else, for you. That's funny, there are are certain things that, uh, you know, how do I know if I'm living a holy life? Like, does that mean I'm not supposed to do this? And it's so natural for us in our human mind to turn it into a checklist. That's what religion does, by the way. Religion says, yes, you should be holy, and here's your list of things to keep you holy. Don't say this, don't do that. Does it mean that there shouldn't be things that change in us and how we act or talk or whatever? Yeah, of course. But it's not because we're trying to live off some checklist of trying to be a good, holy person. It's because we are giving God the the permission and the authority to have his way in our heart and in our mind. And there should be transformation that is noticeable on the outside. The Bible actually tells us in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 19, it says, the, these are, this is what it looks like for people that, that don't 
They're not aware of what God can do in their life. And then this is what it looks like for people that have the spirit of God living in their life. And this is not a verse that is meant to be used to judge people who are living a certain way and then to praise people that feel like they've got it all figured out. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, which is living an unholy life, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's, whew, okay. But let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The Holy Spirit produces a holy life. It produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, living holy, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So how do you lead, lead a holy life? You let the Spirit lead. You don't, you don't print out the checklist of those first couple of verses and be like, did I do this today? Oh, dear. Did I oh, dear. New Year's Eve party? Oh, crap. Okay, anyway. No, that's, that's not how it works. We let the Spirit lead our life. How do I let the Spirit lead my life? Well, let me start off. It starts with this. Can I tell you one of our goals for 2019? And this is because this is we... Our desire is to reach people that have no clue what this is. And if you don't, that's okay. This is the Bible. And one of the convictions of who we are as a church is that this is the foundation that we stand on as a church. This is what we're going to be about. This is how we're going to lead. This is how we're going to love. This is what we're going to talk about. People are our passion. Jesus is our message. This is a large, large book that basically has from beginning to end, it's the message of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And I don't want us to be a church that, that is biblically illiterate. Our goal is that as we grow as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would realize more and more that our understanding of who God is, our understanding of how God made us and who God made us to be will come from what the word of God says. And the cool thing is, is that the Holy Spirit of God inside of you will begin to confirm those things. I always know it's trouble when I hear somebody say, well, I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to do that. I'm like, that, the Bible says you should do the opposite of that. Well, it's what the Holy Spirit told me. It's like, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. You gotta get that. That's actually a pretty big deal. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. Lastly, and I think I can do it. I think I can. Just a reminder, we are dedicating ourselves to the process of the promise Purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. You need to believe that you are definitely qualified and worthy enough and God loves you enough to want to do great wonders in your life. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop saying, nope, that's not me. I'm not good enough. No, I'm not, I'm not as advanced in, in, in knowing who God is like you are. That would never be me. Stop disqualifying yourself. God's not looking for qualified people. He's looking for those that would just simply say yes. I will tell you wholeheartedly that my wife and I, our entire lives, well, at least for me, she's probably, she's more advanced than I am. But by the, when I was a teenager, from that point on, I just started saying yes to Jesus. Not because I knew it, not because I had it figured out, not because I, I, I already, I knew how every step of the way was going to go and I, and I knew that I would never have any issues or problems because I would always live a perfect life. No, absolutely not. But we said, you know what? 
We're going to be people that no matter what, no matter whether we understand it, no matter whether we think we're qualified, we're going to say yes to what Jesus wants to do in our life and just have to trust him with it. And I tell you what, it has been the coolest thing that we have ever done in our life. And, and even like this is, this is the beginning fruit of some of the biggest dreams, dreams that God gave us even before we met. I was like, God, you're, you're pretty crazy. You're pretty cool. And it's only the beginning. So listen, God wants to do, here's the cool thing. They were about to cross over the Jordan River into their promise. And there was going to be a great wonders thing. And it was. But it was just the beginning. It, it wasn't the place to stop. It was the beginning. It was the starting point. And so know that the things that God wants to do in your life and now, yes, it's going to blow your mind. But man, I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. God wants to do more than you could ever amass. He wants to exceed your wildest dreams. Anything that you could ever ask or dream or imagine, he wants to blow your mind. That's how much God loves you. Number three, purity through forgiveness. We did purif uh, purify through repentance, purify through holiness. Now purify through forgiveness. Starting today, come on, dedicate yourself to forgiving people unconditionally, to forgiving people generously, forgiving people consistently. No single act will free your life and keep you in God's promise like forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is it's not for others as much as it is for you. We've all, if you're a human, then you have moments where you have had to choose to forgive or to hold a grudge, to take offense or to let it go. You, you can't escape that if you're gonna be a human. It's just not possible. Maybe even animals too. I don't know, I didn't have it gone there yet. But I know for us, it's impossible to live life and not have moments where you're gonna need to either forgive somebody or let it go. Forgiveness is not forgetting, it's remembering with grace and without anger. It's impossible for us to forget. And that's not the point of forgiveness. Sometimes I think it's even more special for us to be able to live a forgiving life and remember what happened because it will remind us of what God did for us. Check this out. In Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, it says it in verse 35 and, uh, through 38, it says, love your enemies. This is, these are red letter words in, in, in most Bibles that do the red letter thing. That means these are Jesus words. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. We're still talking about your enemies. Uh, then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, I know a lot of preachers use that in the context of giving of our tithes and offerings. The more that you give, it's gonna, God's blessing is going to be pressed down, shaken together and poured into your lap. And, and that is, it's okay to use it in that context. That's still accurate. But in the context of the verses being used here, it's talking about forgiveness. It's talking about judgment. So as much judgment as you cast on others, expect that judgment to be pressed down, shaken together, and poured back into your lap, just like you poured it out to others. And on the flip side of that, forgiveness. The amount that you give forgiveness, you can expect forgiveness to be pressed down, shaken together, so that you can you know, get some more in there. Ever done that 
Um, don't raise your hand. At a buffet, put some food in there. You're like, I think I can get a little bit more. Press it down, shake it together, squeeze it together. That's what the, that's what the, the, the picture is being painted here. So if you give that forgiveness, you can expect that forgiveness to be repaid back to you in full. Purify through forgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking a, po- a poison and expecting the other person to be harmed. It's only going to hurt you. It's time for us to get clean in our hearts, get clean in our minds. It's time for us to let go of the things that have been done to us. And uh, it doesn't excuse, doesn't mean that the person or the individual or the group of people or whatever, doesn't mean that they weren't wrong in what they did. Forgiveness means I'm going to love you and I'm going to let it go regardless of whether it was wrong or right, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how victimized somebody was or I was. I'm going to choose to let it go. And we have the model, ultimate model of Christ on the cross who as he, as he looked down at the people who were guilty of crucifying him, who were guilty of rejecting him, who were guilty of beating the Son of God, who were guilty of putting nails in his hands and his feet, a spear through his side, a crown of thorns in his skull. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing. You know what the reality is when most people hurt you? And I won't say all, but when most people hurt you, they don't understand what they're doing. And most of them are acting out of what was done to them. So yeah, most of the time forgiveness is for you, but you never know how when you forgive somebody, it might actually unlock something in them that was done to them. Forgiveness is such a powerful tool. We are dedicating ourselves to the process of the promise. Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Babe, can you come up and hop on the keyboard for me? As I wrap this up, not too bad. You are knocking on the door of your best life right now. Right now in this moment. You are knocking on the door of your best life. And it's not, when I say your best life, in our world context, there's songs about it, there's, there's cliches, there's memes, there's all type of stuff. And, and living your best life is all about what you do and your choice and doing what you want to do and, and, and being who you want to be. And, and that's, 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 a, that's a, 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 a good effort for a broken cause. Because the only way that you're going to find who your best life uh, is and who you are meant to be is by connecting to the individual who created you with purpose in the first place. See, God is not a God of religion. He's not a God of rules. He's not a God of regulations. He's not a God of judgment. He's not a God of punishment. He's not a God of anger, a God of, a God of hatred. He is a God of love, kindness, mercy, and gentleness. He is a God who draws people to him, not by scaring them away from hell, but by giving them kindness to draw them to himself. He is a God who is willing to spare no expense to pay the price that you and I deserve to pay for our sins so that we could be saved. That's who God is. That's what Christianity is. It's following Jesus. It's not being perfect. It's living a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance isn't a a one-time thing. Yeah, well, I did. I repented that one time. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I pretty much need to do it every day. That doesn't mean you lose, let's, let's, a little quick theology point. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation because you had a bad day. It doesn't work that way. I'm having a hard time finding scriptures that will back up the context of how because you messed up, you lost your salvation. But I see a whole lot of scriptures that talk about the the gracious, loving, kindness of God that's abounding and far exceeds anything that we could ever uh, understand, anything that we could ever expect. He's there to say, hey, it's okay. When I was a kid, 
You know, everyone has different experiences with parents growing up. When I was a kid and I fell down, my father didn't throw rocks at me because I fell. He, he reached down in some way, shape or form, helped me back up, took me back into the house. My mom broke out the back teen. Anybody remember the back teen? Man, that stuff stung like the devil, man. And then she blew on it like that was supposed to do something, right? Spray it on your knee and start blowing on it. It's, gonna, it's okay. They took, my parents took care of my wounds and then they let me go and run again. That's God. God's not looking to, to beat you because you fell. He's looking to help you back up. He's looking to bring healing into your brokenness so that you can go out and run again. Can you just bow your heads real quick? I wanna pray for you this morning as we finish this up. We gotta stop focusing on what we can't do. Stop focusing on what you can't do. Or more specifically on what you don't think you can do. Yeah, I've, I've tried, you know, last year, this time last year, I remember trying to get myself right with the Lord and, and then, you know, 2019 came and you know what, that's just, it just didn't work out. You know, I kept going back to the same old habits, kept surrounding myself with the same old people, kept doing the same old stuff I was doing before and it's just hard, yeah. It's hard when you do it alone. It's hard when you try to do it on your own. But just because you've had past failure doesn't mean that you're disqualified from future success. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at ConvoChurch. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.